Welcome in to the first episode of the Losing Sucks Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Dustin Blanton, along with my co-host, Travis Masterson. Travis, how are you, man? Football, baby! I'm doing amazing, Dustin. It's finally time. We've been working on this for a while now. We're going to be doing it all. Mock drafts, player comparisons, lineup, head-to-head matchup analysis. It's going to be so much fun going through all these things every week with you guys. Dustin, we got some football to talk about. Where do we want to start today? Let's do it. Today is all about value. We've got guys that we think are currently set up for the 2021 season to outperform their ADP. I'm excited about these guys. I can't wait to hear yours. Travis, why don't you go and kick us off here? Who's one guy you think can definitely outperform where he's going in drafts? My first guy is going to be Tyler Higby. I'm very excited about Higby being by himself. Gerald Everett is finally out of town. I actually do like Everett with the Seahawks, but I think Higby has the potential to be a top five tight end, top five or six. In particular, there's going to be some guys that are in everybody's conversation and ADP for that four, five, six range. And I think he's not in that conversation and should be. And so I'm going to spend a little bit of time telling you why I think that. Yeah, you better. So let's start it off with some stats. In 2020, the Rams targeted the tight end position 126 times, of which Higby saw 50% of the targets because of Gerald Everett. So with Everett leaving, I think it would be a safe estimate to give Higby 25 to 30% of what Everett got on top of what Higby saw. Every team has a second and third tight end. They're going to get 15, 20%, maybe even 25% of the tight end share but I think Higby is going to be featured as the workhorse tight end if there is such a thing outside of Kelsey Waller and Kittle workhorse tight end that's what we're all looking for maybe that's our first nickname for uh for Tyler Higby is uh the original 2021 workhorse tight end that nobody knew about um we're going back to 2019 now when Everett was hurt, we saw over 150 targets from the Rams to the tight end position. This is not new for Sean McVay. It was not just a Jared Goff thing. I think Stafford is going to continue that. Um, And in that season of 150 plus targets, Higby got 89 of them. And that was also with Everett around. He was in and out with injury. But again, as Higby is starting to become the only guy in town at that position, I think it's safe to say that we're going to see 100 to 115 targets for Tyler Higby, which would be top five or six in targets with an improved quarterback. Um, the, one of the guys that I wanted to argue Higby against that we talked about for a little bit is Mark Andrews, who is coming off of a season that some would say I think the taste in people's mouth is that he's still a very successful tight end. I think that 89 targets for 58 catches and 700 yards is not a superstar tight end. I don't think it, he deserves to be redrafted in that four or five range. With the addition of Sammy Watkins and Bateman, they can only hurt Mark Andrews. I think Andrews has been the not just the number one receiving option, but the number one offensive weapon of Lamar Jackson's choice. Uh, He's the first look he has been for two years now. And even in those two years, I think, again, 58 catches for 700 yards doesn't do anything for me when you're looking at a fourth, fifth round draft price. And I think that uh, I'm going to stay away from 
Mark Andrews, I don't think he can do better than what he's done. And I think that Higby, having had a Mark Andrews type season already, I think he's going to improve on that. That's interesting. It's 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 some interesting points. I I wouldn't say that I loathe Tyler Higby. I just hate the hype that he's getting. Because I, so our arguments have circled around you believing that he could be a top five. Uh, or he should be a top five considered tight end. My contention to that, I, I'm not going to base my argument on Mark Andrews having already been there. What I'm going to bring up is the fact that you've got guys, let's take up the first three right off the bat. So top five, you've got Kelsey, you've got Waller, you've got Kittle. Yep, nobody's touching So those guys three. are elite target share, elite production. We know all about them. Right. The other two spots, you're really looking for opportunity and touchdown, really, for, for tight ends. And I feel like opportunity-wise and target share-wise, you're not going to you're not going to have more targets than, in my opinion, than Hawkinson, TJ Hawkinson with the Lions, and I'm not even going to bring up Andrews in the top five because I think he can sit there steady at six because... I'm not as high on Kyle Pitts, but we've had conversations off air about the opportunity that Pitts comes into. You know, I don't like the whole, oh, well, Julio Jones is gone. That means everyone else is going to be, you know, all those targets are going to go straight to who? Russell Gage? Like, they're going to go to to whoever's producing, whoever's going to be trusted in that offense. And who else but the pseudo tight end wide receiver Kyle Pitts? Like, how many yards do we think that Matt Ryan's going to throw for? I think a 17-game season, I think it's safe to say he could approach 5,000 yards. 4,500, let's call it, and be safe. We've broken down the totals that we think the other wide receivers are going to get, and that leaves right around 1,000 yards for Kyle Pitts. I'm not seeing him go for 1,000. I think for Matt Ryan, the the numbers come down significantly. Over 1,000 yards, though? Uh, it could be close to it. I, it could be, well, maybe not a thousand, but I think they come down five or 600 yards. Julio Jones is going to make him leaving. It makes a huge difference. And Russell Gage, it's not like they brought in somebody. Yes. Kyle Pitts is going to be a dynamic weapon, but we've, we've seen a small, small number probably can count them on one hand of rookie tight ends going sure. over 700, sure. 750 yards. I'm just not seeing it. I'm going to play the the safe bet of in the history of the league, three or four guys have done it. One has gone over a thousand. And I think that was Mike Ditka. I'm not seeing Pitts step into Julio Jones, thousand yards. I think five, 600 yards for Pitts is probably safe. Potential seven. Um, anything over that I think is, is going to surprise everybody except for the Kyle Pitts truthers in the fantasy community. So, so you think 700 yards you think 700 yards is kind of his ceiling then for, for, for Pitts? Yeah, I think that would be seen as a success based on rookie tight ends in the history of the league. Maybe with an extra game, you can go 740, 750. I mean, even for 750 yards, you're talking that's only that's less than 50 yards a game. You don't think, you don't think he'll have multiple 100-yard games? Or even not even just multiple 100-yard games. I think getting 80, 60 yards even, I think – I think there's going to be more of those games than games he'll have less than 50 yards. Just as a usage standpoint, I feel like 
if he's not the let's call him the number three option even if you want to call him the which i think is kind of selling him short i think he's going to I think he would be the number two yeah exactly so yeah. i think that the number two option on that team isn't going to cap out at 750 yards 40 yards a game 45 yards a game i feel like he's going to get closer to that 80 ish yard mark um uh, which is going to put him right up there you know 900 yards 900 yards with season. the most with the most yards by a rookie tight end in the last 40 seasons sure sure i, I that that i mean that's that's i'm it, it's possible just based on his physical um attributes and what we saw in college and the situation he stepped into is perfect so it is kind of a perfect storm for that to happen yeah 40 years of data would say it's probably not for whatever reason it just doesn't happen i i guess then you have to you have to weigh that because what we're trying to do here is we're trying to determine tyler higby's outcomes i don't i i don't want to necessarily take it completely off of tyler higby's merits because sure the offense should see an uptick with but higby's not going to be the the sole uh benefactor of of those those uptick in targets if there's an uptick in targets because I feel like an interesting experiment would be to look at comparisons between Jared Goff and and Matt Stafford. I mean, their production even in their own systems was very similar. We just take you know went and took a look. The fantasy points per game last season would would kind of trend. Yeah, we agree that Matt Stafford should see an uptick in touchdowns over what Jared Goff had. Jared Goff only had twenty touchdowns last season, but the touchdowns are what really separates a tight end from you know being a tight end 10 to being a tight end like we've been talking about five Robert Tunney was in the top five last year but we both agree that if he doesn't see those 11 touchdowns he only had 52 or 56 receptions last year he falls out of that top five Higby's gonna have to have touchdowns Higby's gonna have to have at least I'd say six to 700 yards to be in that top five which I think the yardage is safe I don't want to count on touchdowns because overall is Matt Stafford going to increase the touchdowns by let's say 15 over what Jared Goff threw last year. Can he get to 35? 35 would be a great season. And now with the loss, that would be Yeah, that'd be a great year. That would be a great year. And this is, this could be a great offense, but now losing their, their star running back, how, how much is that going to affect their efficiency? Matt Stafford doesn't have the highest red zone completion percentage. Matt Stafford just last season had a red zone completion percentage. Red zone completion percentage was 54. That that was 41st in the league. So, yeah. No, he had a down year for sure. For sure. And I think in in short, what excites me the most about Higby is a vacated 70 to 80 targets just at the tight end position with Everett leaving over the last two years, Everett is averaging 70 targets a year, close to it. Um, I think those vacated targets, if you give Higby 30 or 35 of those 70, you think all right, half those targets go to him. Now we're looking at a, now we're looking at a hundred targets. We're looking at TJ Hawkinson type targets and yards per catch last year. Higby had more yards per catch than Darren Waller, TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant. He was successful. He was efficient. And if you're giving him an, an additional 70 to 80 targets, 
I think the ceiling, if he reaches his ceiling, I think he could beat out um, Hawkinson, Fant, Goddard, Pitts. Sure. I think he could finish a top. No of doubt, that he's group. got some. He's got some interesting upside. One one last stat to leave us with, um, because you're talking about targets and and how much more he should get, how valuable those targets could be. His air yards in comparison to Mark Andrews, who is someone right around that range. Last year he had 479 air yards, whereas you had Mark Andrews had 911, which means he's getting those higher valuable targets because most of the time he's being split out as a wide receiver. Whereas Higby, a lot of times being the valuable blocker that he is, he's staying in line, not necessarily as much time to get off the line because he's having to deal with linemen. It'll be interesting to see. Not saying he can't land those touchdowns, but I think we are going to have to see an uptick in touchdowns this year. Hopefully Matt Stafford can bring that along. Right. For, no, we have Of course. To. All right. So the next guy... Our next player that I want to bring up is a guy that I've kind of caped up for in the draft community, in the fantasy football community. Uh, I've been told, yeah, you know, he's, he's fine for where he's going, but I, I really see the value in him right now. He's going at, at about the fifth round. He's not, I, I, he's not a sexy pick because for whatever reason, people feel like Mike Davis is not a guy that is going to do anything. I don't know why. Is it, is it because of the... The team that he's on, yeah, the team's gonna suck. Okay, they're they're not gonna win many games. They're in a they're in a a wood chipper division. Like you're you're going up against an up and coming Panthers team that you're gonna have to keep up keep up with. You're you've got the Super Bowl champs, and then you've got the Saints. Uh, any Sean Payton led team, I'm not counting out. But yeah, they're off. Their defense is gonna give up points. But Mike Davis. Is the only running back on this team that has a rounded skill set to where you can put him in first, second, third down, and he can do the job, whatever you need him to do. He can grind between the tackles. He can run it outside. He can catch. He can block. I'm, I, I kind of get a little bit salty hearing about JV and Hawkins being talked about. Oh, he could take this job. He's the next James Robinson. JV and Hawkins weighs about as much as James Robinson's left leg. You know, Javian Hawkins, yeah, he he's a a possible electric threat as a receiving back, but you know, how high are you willing to draft Naeem Hines on a good Colts team? Javian Hawkins isn't that. He's not he's not gonna be able to handle an NFL workload. You know, he might give you a couple games, but then you know, he could miss a few games because he'll get banged up. Mike Davis, sure, he has not been your prototypical workhorse running back the most of his most of his career. But you know what? He had a he had a few breakout games in Seattle that earned him a contract in Chicago. And being a big Bears fan, I know that he didn't necessarily get the starting reps that he needed to supplant David Montgomery because of the draft capital. He goes to Carolina and has a big breakout year because unfortunately the injury to Christian McCaffrey happens. But then he gets to display his skill set. And no, he wasn't a top top running back but you know what he was middle of the pack and in fifth in the fifth round at, at the 55th you know 56th pick in a draft that's what you're looking to get you're looking to, to get a guy that can get you some value that can get you some you know rb3 numbers imagine getting a guy that has most of the the backfield to himself he's got a guy uh, a plotter and cadre olison that doesn't receive well he's not gonna miss many tackles he's possibly a goal line threat but you've got a guy in the fifth round in Mike Davis who can give you everything. He's athletically comparable to David Montgomery. And you know what? 
even more athletic, I would say. Because being a Bears fan, I've seen David Montgomery run, and he's not running away from anyone. Mike Davis, he can he can at least run through some people. Um, I think you made a great point with the athletically uh, comparable David Montgomery to Mike Davis, as well as the situation. I'm curious as to why you think the situation for Mike Davis can yield a better result than the situation we've seen with David Montgomery. Is that a Tariq Cohen coming back effect? Or is it a Damian Williams having a little bit bigger role? Because we just saw David Montgomery absolutely go off in the back half of last year. I don't necessarily think that that he can outproduce David Montgomery. But I think for where he's being drafted, I feel like he's about around around after David Montgomery. I feel like at that value, you're 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 money ahead. Uh, if you miss out on David Montgomery to go Mike Davis, because David Montgomery is going to be your second running back, most likely, unless you completely disregard the wide receiver position in your drafts, he's going. David Montgomery is going in the middle of the fourth round, whereas Mike Davis, going towards the middle of the fifth, his situation isn't so much dissimilar. Are you are you just as happy with David Montgomery as your? second running back as you are with Mike Davis as your second are they that um yeah you know Montgomery feels like if I'm gonna be true to my process I I would I would have to say yeah I personally would feel David Montgomery Montgomery was really good he finishes the the running back four last year but he had that stretch of games at the end of the season where we were just beaten up on not even just beaten up on but he could score touchdowns and get yards against terrible defenses but the rest of the season, I think he was averaging about 3.6 yards a carry. He can make the first guy miss, but he's not running away from anyone. You know, yeah, he's had a couple of breakaway runs, but if you go back and watch those plays, there was no one else in the area of the field where he was. You know, he can any any NFL player as long as you're not running like a 4.7540, you're going to be able to run away from some guys if there's no one within 10 yards of you. You know, no one's making up 10 yards. Whereas Mike Davis, he doesn't have a Damian Williams to take carries away. Damian Williams probably going to be more of a spell back anyway, but Tariq Cohen probably going to take away some receiving work. Whereas, so you're thinking we're we're going to see Mike Davis on the field at a higher clip than David Montgomery? I really do. I really do think that we're going to see him in more scenarios. There's a lot to be said for that. If you're on the field, you're going to have. I a just lot do. More I, I don't see. I don't see who else they're going to turn to. Kadre Olsen was a healthy scratch last year for four games. You know, Javian Hawkins wasn't drafted. Mike Davis undrafted as well, I believe. And uh, I believe he was either undrafted or uh, he was a, a seventh-round pick. But either way, he's he, they, they paid him this year. He showed last year that he has the skill set to produce. I really do feel like even if you miss out on David Montgomery, I don't feel like you're losing that much. By going with with Mike Davis, I feel like you're still in a solid position as your second running back. And honestly, in the fifth round, if if you're pushing off your second running back to the fifth round, you're you've probably got some other strengths on your roster as well. But Mike Davis in the fifth round, I feel it, it at the very least is is solid value. I don't think he I don't think he's being overdrafted at all. I feel like fifth round is is fair. Well, for him. that the third, fourth, fifth round have been called a little bit of a dead zone. Um, industry-wide for running backs so far in drafts and 
finding somebody in that dead zone is going to give people a lot of comfort that they can say, if it didn't go my way running back wise in the first couple of rounds, I'm okay. I just need to make sure that I land Mike Davis. Uh, I think that's a, he's a great target for those type of, of drafters. And to answer your question, if I'm wrong on Mike Davis, it's because uh, he didn't produce well. I don't feel like it's because my process is, is that far off. I feel like athletically opportunity wise, yeah, you're predicting the opportunity, and that, yeah, he's he's got that. I do have two uh, rather serious questions about you and yeah, Mike Davis, of course, together. Um, in the form of, does him being a former Bear lead you to a little bit more no, of a bias? Not at all. I I can be completely agnostic with. Or you do not think of Mike Davis as a former? Bear. I, I really don't. Yeah, I mean, he played one or okay. two games for us and then david montgomery was was the guy i mean mike davis i feel like he like i said he's broken out a couple times he's had some big time plays with seattle and obviously breaking out with carolina and he didn't really get the opportunity to shine in chicago and that team wasn't exactly great either he really did um he did not hurt you last year i actually had him was able to get him off the waiver or trade for him in leagues where i had christian mccaffrey and he was not the reason why i lost games and when he when he did well, he was a significant reason as to why I won those weeks. No, he. I mean, PPR wise, he's the running back fourteen last year. He he gets you fifteen points a game as a running back too. I don't think he's losing your games, he, especially with how involved he was. And if he gets even, you know, if he falls down to running back eighteen twenty, I feel like in the fifth round you're getting you're getting a great value there. Right. Uh, my second question about Mike Davis would be. Uh, and this is actually for a few guys, including A.J. Dillon and Saquon Barkley. How how okay. much of an impact do these thigh pictures have on these three guys? <laughs> I don't I don't know what that whole trend. It's like holy cow! Uh, there, there's these an professional athletes have muscles. Yeah, it's an undeniable impact. Mm. But is it two or three spots, or is it around? I mean, how far? Up has AJ Dillon gone? Has Mike Davis gone because of the release of these photos? Honestly, I feel like if I feel like if you go ahead and post pictures of your legs, I feel like your ADP rises at least six <laughs> six spots. I'm serious. Like, like do you, guys, do you yeah. think that these guys Mike have Davis gone hasn't... up <laughs> even just a bit because of these pictures? You know, it probably. I honestly, to answer that question, like yeah. I pr- probably in some leagues, some guy, some casual fan probably saw those pictures. Was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that Saquon's left leg was that strong. <laughs> N- needless to say, we're not going to show pictures of the right leg. Notice forget how no the, pictures are ever knees, taken of the right the leg. Quads. The right leg, yeah, it, they're still trying to tie that leg together. But that left leg, that tree trunk of a leg that has had to to, to hold up his entire body for the last nine months, that's the one. <laughs> And Mike Davis, yeah. someone try, who was who else was it that like posted a picture of their quads? I forgot what other running back it was. Yeah, there but was someone a else posted. Oh, Giovanni a Bernard. Giovanni Bernard. That's not a and guy that was, that's like that was crazy. Swole. That was probably the most he had a imp- massive, impressive. He had a massive quad. And you know what? Yeah. You know what Giovanni Bernard has done? He's on his second team, and he's 29 years old. Like, yeah. I'm just saying, like, they're professional athletes. They have muscles. They're they're, they have legs. For, for whatever reason, though, whether it is their names are in our mouth because of this picture or it's the picture itself that comes to your mind when you see their name on the draft board, something about it does have a small effect. 
It's undeniable. Sure. You get excited. Like, oh my God, he's super strong. That's a superhuman leg. Put him on my team. Yeah. Let's get, and all right, let's get <laughs> it. When, when we see training camp, you know, amazing catches by certain receivers, we're like, oh man, right. he catches everything. Like if Mike, Mike Williams comes down with an unbelievable catch, he's going to go up a few spots. Right. But you just know, a picture of the muscle is just crazy. So one of the guys that we wanted to talk about, so we've already talked about Tyler Higbee. Do we want to talk about the guy who's throwing him the ball? I do want to talk briefly about Matthew Stafford. I, in my gut, have a feeling that Matthew Stafford is going to be top five in MVP votes for the 2021 season. I have the Rams winning 12 games at least. They're clearly going to be one of the better teams. I'll run through a couple of the stats that I really like for Matthew Stafford this year, and in particular, my favorite stat at the end that I think is going to be the most significant as to why he has so much success. Obviously, the McVay system is a well-oiled machine. We're going to see him step right in. It's not going to be a learning curve with the system. It is QB friendly. He's got all the weapons you possibly need. They're not out looking for anything. I do think the Akers injury will affect the team. I don't think it affects Stafford's fantasy production. If anything, it could help it because they're not relying on 1,500 yards on the ground like they had hoped from Akers. Um, Henderson could give you 1,000, 1,200, but he's he's not going to give you Akers. He's not Cam Akers. Um, so let me just run through a few stats of Stafford. We already know he loves to let it fly. Six top 10 quarterback fantasy seasons in Detroit. Um, he's got seven straight years over 4,200 passing yards with the regular schedules that we've been used to. And then my favorite stat is targets to open or wide open receivers ranks in the NFL. The Lions ranked number 21 in getting guys open, which is obviously a quarterback's friend as an open receiver. He's managed to be successful mm-hmm. in being the, in the bottom third of getting guys open. The Rams were number four. Cooper Cup and Robert Woods are open, if not, and the, st- and the actual stat says, or wide open. And I think that when you watch Rams games, Cooper Cup is wide open a lot. The designs are there. The motion, the, the pre-play motion is, is, is almost a guarantee from somebody. These guys are in spots to succeed, and now they have a guy with a rocket that can get it to him really quick. He can get it to him downfield. I think you're going to see Higby up the seam. These guys are going to be open um, just like they have been, and now they've got a guy who can feed him the rock. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to see what a quarterback of Matthew Stafford's, what he can do in that, that offense, because I think we, we all kind of want to root for Matt Stafford after having been sentenced to all those years in Detroit. I think that, I think watching him try to shoulder that load and then kind of having the shackles taken off and then being told, go out there and actually play. Then you go and send Jared Goff into Detroit and say, all right, this is what you get for losing the Super Bowl." Here you go. Play with this. So, yeah, I I don't have a a lot of bad things to to say about Stafford. I feel watching him in the NFC North all these years, dude's super talented. I feel like he gets kind of inconsistent and his decision-making leads him to force some throws. He definitely puts up some some risky throws. His interceptable passes is there. He's I think he's number two in the league at, at interceptable passes. So yeah, he takes some risks, but I think you're kind of looking for that in that system. Some, he's a little bit more of a gunslinger than 
than Jared Goff was, and I think that's kind of what McVay's looking for. So I'll be interested. He definitely likes to, to chuck it. There's a, a shot in the arm for that uh, stat that you just said about interceptable passes, and that would be wide open receivers. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, I mean, after this year, I think we're going to have no excuses if Matt Stafford doesn't succeed. I feel like then we'll kind of know, okay, it's not it's not the system. It's, um, you know, maybe it is just Stafford. He is who we thought out. he was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I know we'll, we'll, let's get to your next guy because, you know, I feel like Stafford and Higby were kind of tied up in one. Um, speaking yep. of legs, um, this guy, from what I've seen, he's got very powerful legs. And I've even heard on short. Twitter that, yeah, very short legs, but he's got no, uh, no rump. He doesn't have that, that, uh, that junk in the trunk to get him into the, the end zone. This is a guy that I've seen you talk all over Twitter about. Uh, Clyde edwards Hilaire. Talk to me about him, Travis. Yeah, I think we need to focus more on what we saw from him before his injury and before Le'Veon Bell joined the Chiefs last year. Okay. And what we did see from him was incredibly successful. We saw twenty an average of twenty three touches a game, which was the third most per game touches behind Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook. I don't think that people understand how much he was touching the ball because of the second half of the year when he was not touching it so much. He the hype train was real for Clyde Edwards Hilaire. He was lucky he went in the first round, you know. He was a guy. Yeah, he was sixth or seventh overall. Sure, player. and I think that he probably hurt a lot of fantasy teams last year, just from where he finished and kind of the circumstances that surrounded him. But you, you're not. You said you're not really buying the the rushing touchdowns, um, kind of carrying over to this year. Uh, why? Why not? I think that's a really hard stat to predict. Touchdowns in general, when we're talking position players, um is more about opportunity to punch it in. Kind of like what we were talking about with Mark Andrews. He's going to have more opportunities because they throw to him so much in the red zone. It wasn't that they weren't giving him the ball. It's not that they weren't in the red zone. Everybody on the Chiefs had had a problem running the ball and getting in the end zone last year. It wasn't just a CEH deal. And I think that was in large part due to the O-line having to make a lot of changes due to injury. They've revamped that. They they arguably have, I think, a top three O-line going into this year. Um, they'll have to, to mesh and get ready to go in training camp, but I think they've got the pieces to be to protect Patrick but also be incredibly successful on the ground. With, with Tyreek on the outside and Kelsey in the slot, you've got Hardman in motion. You just can't stack the box against these guys, and I think that knowing that his opportunities are going to be wide open holes. And if he's getting it 20 times a game, you're looking at a 75 to a hundred yard every single week um, on the ground through the air. He, he had four targets per game last year. That's, he, he was top 12 in the league in targets per game for running backs. Uh, I think that's what you're looking for in a second round pick absolutely all day I'll take him in the second round and and I don't think there's anybody safer in the entire second round particularly at running back when you're looking at Mixon and Najee Harris and Dobbins all these guys have I've got them over all three 
his ceiling is higher. There's no, I don't see a world where Mixon or Dobbins or Najee could finish in the top five. Um, that's that. You know, that's an interesting take because I, whereas I agree over Dobbins, Dobbins doesn't necessarily get the re- receiving work. I think for ne- almost obvious reasons, just with Lamar and the nature of that offense, but with Joe Mixon and Najee, they're I don't want to say in similar situations because of the the being in the prolific offense that is the Chiefs' offense. But Joe Mixon, this is a guy that he's got that workhorse ability. Where same thing with Najee, whereas we haven't necessarily seen it with Najee yet. I think we can all agree that opportunity is going to come to him they it's essentially they've had that spot waiting for him for over a year every time Tomlin would talk about a running back he might as well have just saying don't worry next year when we have Najee Harris in here he's going to be our three down back and that way people don't know uh what we're going to do that was a question asked to him last last year people asked him hey uh do you think there's benefit to having you know different backs with specialty skill sets that we can put out there on the field, and he just kind of give them a look like we're waiting for Najee. So it's it's interesting that you say that because I see that th- these three offenses, the Bengals, the Steelers, and the Chiefs, I don't I don't necessarily think that the running back usage is going to be that much different between these these guys because. You've talked about competition for carries at the goal line with Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Joe Mixon has no competition. He's got a rookie that they've talked about maybe being able to catch some balls, and they've got some Maje P. Ryan. Like, give me a break, you know. And then Najee Harris, who what, we got what Benny Snell, and then uh, Booger McFarland's son. You know, I I know that's I know he's not his son, but it's just fun to say. It's it's just fun because. It's fun for me because I, I, I do love Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I've got him in, on you know a couple dynasty teams. I think he's going to have a great season. Everyone makes these comparisons to Brian Westbrook. He He's a Andy Reid running back. He, the guy's going to get work, but so is the running back for the Steelers, who is also going to catch a lot of passes. So is Joe Mixon on hopefully an upgraded Bengals team that's going to have more scoring opportunities just from the weapons that they have. Let's hope for health on all fronts there, but I don't think necessarily he's going to be any more likely than Joe Mixon to finish in the top five. I don't think top five is necessarily in Clyde Edwards-Alaire's outcomes. I don't feel like they run the ball enough. They don't necessarily throw it to the running back at a higher rate than other teams. What did you say? He was he got four targets a, a game last year, and he was, what, that was number 12? As a, yeah, not as a team, just as a player. Four four targets out of the backfield per game was top twelve in the league. To go with nineteen carries a game, his total of twenty three touches a game was third in the league behind Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook. That to me just screams high floor. With that offense, the scoring chances that they're gonna have. Does the O line of Pittsburgh not worry you for Najee? We saw last year they could not run the ball at all. We saw Benny Snell getting stuffed over and over again. You know, it matters when you get down to the goal line. There have been some studies that have been done in regard to O-line, and it doesn't necessarily, at least I, I don't believe that it necessarily correlates to, you know, one guy not being able to reach, you know, top five status. These guys, Najee Harris, a workhorse back um, on a high-powered offense. Uh, that Steelers offense, 
new offensive coordinator, hopefully some health, better running back. I feel like we can agree that he's an upgrade over James Conner in the way they want to use him. I think his opportunities, the, the amount of opportunities he's going to have are going to overcome any disparage that might come towards Najee Harris with by not being on a team with a top five offensive line because now that's not to discount it but I just don't think it's going to knock him so much that he's not going to be considered to be you know a, a possible RB1 at the end of the season I think we need to look into and we'll make note of that that's a good thing to look at is effective O-line on actual fantasy running back production because like when Tony Pollard went down I mean when when Zeke went down Tony Pollard steps in and all of a sudden he's a top 12 play and that you know those two two weeks that Zeke was out why it's not because Tony Pollard's so great Dak wasn't there it's strictly O-line in my opinion sure I mean Clyde Edwards Hilaire had better run blocking than Joe Mixon last year and you know where where did they both finish I think people were really frustrated with with where Joe Mixon finished last year where where did he end up last year Joe Mixon was Clyde was amazing through the first six games until Le'Veon got there and then then Clyde got hurt right and he never really bounced back from injury so all we have of healthy CEH as the featured back in which he got 73 percent of carries right Uh, he was on pace for 16 15 1600 yards I mean he that's a floor I mean can he can he sustain that workload is a question that we're definitely going to want to check out this season because he goes and gets injured. Well, maybe now we have to start looking at him differently. His value is going to start falling because if he can't withstand that workhorse role, he could be relegated to a sat- satellite back plus, you know, mostly receiving work and then every once in a while getting some carries, kind of like a, kind of like a rookie year Miles Sanders. Kind of like an every year Joe Mixon. Wow. Not true, not cool. (laughs) (laughs) Not being able to withstand a workhorse load or the uh, the workhorse featured back workload. I'm not. What are you talking about? Joe Joe Mixon Mixon played 16 games last year. Burn people. Joe Mixon, he played 16 games last year. So is it it a false thing that he's burned? I mean, is is that a false narrative? That he's burned people? Yeah. Yeah, you know, he's he's hurt people for sure. Um, I'm I'm in the believer camp for Joe Mixon, but in regard or in comparison to Clyde Edwards-Helaire, yeah, top offense. A lot. Hopefully, he'll have the 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 first crack at opportunities. Hopefully, he can figure out those touchdown goal line woes. If he does, I feel like yeah, uh, he's an RB one. You know, top five upside. I don't necessarily think that it's there just for the people who he would have to beat out. But, yeah, I think he's... Did you you say that Joe Mixon played 16 games last year? No, uh, in 2019. Oh, in 2019. Uh, I might have said last year, but I meant 2019. Anyway, I'm not mad to get Joe Mixon, but if they're both there, I'm taking Clyde every single time. And that's just my opinion. I think I am more... just strategically speaking, I like to build on high floor. It's why I love Robert Woods. It's like it's why I like Stafford. It's why I like CEH. I want in in a normal league where starting nine or ten guys, if I can get eight or nine guys that are high floor guys, I'm in it every week. Because mm-hmm. 
two or three of them will go off. So if my goal is to get 110 or 120 points a week, yeah, that's fair. And my floors add up to 90, 95. Yeah, I don't have to get a lot extra from more than two people. That's just a philosophy of mine. Is my my guys average? Where is our floor? Is it high enough to only need two or three guys? So we can talk more about uh, philosophy in general. I think that would be an interesting episode of how we build our teams as the season goes on through the draft. It's solid. How we feel about certain strategies in fantasy overall. Um, two guys I'm high on. My guys are LaVisca Chenault and Sam Darnold. I like Chenault just because the wide receiver room in Jacksonville is kind of ambiguous. We've talked before about how DJ Shark is kind of he feels a little on the way out e you know they bring in marvin jones who profiles very similarly in that role i feel like he could be adequate and you know if they're looking for another wide receiver to play on the outside he could be that guy shark could be relegated to what to a wide receiver three role and then you've got a dynamic weapon I don't buy into the whole, we're going to use Travis Etienne as we should be using LaVisca Chenault. Travis Etienne is going to be a running back. He could, you know, he could play outside. LaVisca Chenault is an established, you know, weapon on that team. He had a, a pretty good year last year playing for a team that couldn't get out of its own way. He played with the likes of Mike Glennon and Gardner Minshew and Jake Luton. You know, he he's a dynamic athlete, and he compares uh, athletically to A.J. Brown, which, again, a little bit of a stretch. I'm not saying he's A.J. Brown. I feel like he's that bulldog. Wow, he's big? Is he really that big? He is six foot one, 227 pounds, and the dude is just a bulldog. What I, My favorite thing about his opportunity this year, obviously, is the number one overall pick in this year's draft. Trevor Lawrence coming to the team, the dude is going to be, he at least has the opportunity to be the number one target in the slot for uh, an offense that is being led by a hopeful star quarterback. Even if he doesn't, you know, blow the world away this year, you're, you're not drafting him like he's going to be your number one wide receiver. He's going at, he's at underdog ADP, he's 78. So he's going in the he's going at that back end of the seventh round. So I I really don't think that you're you're drafting him to be the guy. But at that point, you're drafting a wide receiver three, you know, a flex guy. Yeah, give me that all all day every day. You're not getting a running back at that that ADP. You might get Raheem Mostert, who we've talked about before. But Lavisca Chenault is essentially a running back that plays wide receiver. The dude is just. Jack, it's a lot of upside there because yeah, you look at his finishes last year, his rookie year. No, he's not gonna he's not gonna blow you away. But his target accuracy that he was getting, terrible. And you don't even have to talk about how much cushion he gets on his targets because he plays in the slot. They're always gonna get cushion. Like you can't you can't press these guys. And in this offense, in a I'm assuming in an Urban Meyer offense where there's gonna be a lot of screen passes, a lot of lateral movement. That that's where Lavisca had played one in in college, so he's used to it. But two, you get him behind the line of scrimmage, and he can take off. Give him that advantage we've talked about previously with Miko Hardman moving in motion in that that up tempo, fast paced offense. This is going to be very similar, I feel, 
in a, in a team that wants to run the ball but also can beat you with speed. So I'm I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by Lavisca Chanel. I think historically rookie quarterbacks come in and through training camp, through their first kind of trials, they latch on to a favorite guy. Is his safety blanket Chenault? Is it Marvin Jones? Is it for some reason Chark? I think it will be Chenault because he's he's around the ball so much. It's easy to have a safety blanket in the slot who's always there. And a guy like that, that can get open and make contested catches, which Marvin Jones and DJ Chark can both do. We've seen it just in Marvin Jones has done it for a long time. He's a contested catch guy. And we've seen DJ Chark do it in a brief stint. But I think, yeah, Chenault's speed and and him being around the ball a lot between he, ETN, and Trevor Lawrence, I think that's going to be the core that they're going to move forward with and build around for sure. It makes sense. They're young pieces, most recent rookie picks. And to, to kind of further your point of being around the ball a lot, because he's playing out of slot, his routes are typically closer to the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage. So easier targets to complete, uh, more opportunity for yards after the catch. I, I think his value right now is just that in the that back of the seventh round. He ended up having 25 PPR points. You know, that was his best best game of the year. I'm assuming, of course, this uh, this whole operation to running in Jacksonville um, is going to be uh, an uptick in production, hopefully, with the improvements that they've made. And their defense is not exactly the greatest, so hopefully, you know, passing the ball more, it's gonna re- it's gonna require Lavisca Chanel to have more of a role. So I'm excited to see that. The next guy, Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold breaks my heart because he doesn't. He's had some. He's had some rough games, but again. You kind of have to ask yourself how much of it was being on the Jets, where there was no supporting cast. You look at you look at Sam Darnold, and one one stat kind of gives me hope in that his clean pocket uh, completion percentage was was the number six in the league. What that tells me is that when he's given time to throw, he's completing passes. His receiver separation. It, it's not a secret that he hasn't had weapons. He's had Jamison Crowder and then other guys that have heard of football before. A rookie Denzel Mims. You've had Brashad Perriman last year. One of his top targets last year is Braxton Berrios. This isn't a guy that I'm... Who do you have to respect in that game? Like, his... Just looking at his stats, like, I don't like to just, you know, verbatim read stats because that's not really savvy analysis but looking at his play or looking at his stats it just it it tells me that he's had to take chances he's had to make plays outside of the pocket and because of that you get numbers that like look like oh he's he threw nine passing touchdowns last year yeah that's last in the league that's awful but again the context being he he was on a terrible team that everyone knew they were they they couldn't score so their defense also sucked. So they had to throw the ball. Like when you mix a team that can't run and can't really pass, like what what is the option here? Like when you can get away with covering the pass and also putting eight in the bo- uh, in the box, yeah, you, there's not a lot of opportunity. Now he's in a situation where you can't do that. 
you've got two burners on the outside. You've got a third wide receiver in Terrace Marshall that can beat you out of the slot. You've got Christian McCaffrey, who's a pseudo-everything back. And an offensive line that's improved. A defense that was given its all uh, two, pre- or two drafts ago. And now you've got Matt Rule, who everyone knows the the rhythm of his tenures is that the first year always sucks and the second year's a big uptick. Now that he has his quarterback of choice, I'm intrigued. Yeah, he's Sam Darnold has not been a league winner, but you know what? The the guy is still only 23, 24 years old, excuse me. And the guy the guy has all the skills that you look for. He's a gunslinger. He he runs around the field, throws it down the field, and now he's got his previous favorite target in Robbie Anderson to catch touchdowns. What am I missing? I think that they are a slept-on offense across the board. I think the value of DJ Moore, of Robbie Anderson, uh, well, obviously nobody's sleeping on Christian McCaffrey, but um, I think that those guys, those two receivers and Darnold are going to be successful right out of the gate. I believe in that rule. I, I think that I think that they're going to be guys that people want in their lineup, especially at the prices they're going for. And that's really what you want to see from a team that might not necessarily get a bunch of W's this year. 2021 is going to be an interesting year for the Carolina Panthers. With that being said, though, that'll do it for this week's episode of Losing Sucks. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Losing Sucks. Losing Sucks.